Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome in to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. I am Chris Trapasso, and this episode is dedicated to all the tweaks that I have made to my grading system, even from last year, and certainly over the past couple of draft seasons, along with talk about all of the misconceptions that it com- when it comes to scouting and evaluating players as they're entering the NFL. So kind of grouping those two categories together for one episode. I'm going to get right to it as I always do. The biggest misconception and the broadest misconception is that fast players are automatically athletic. That is 100% false. There are so many prospects throughout time and throughout the last seven or eight draft classes that I've evaluated the last four at CBS Sports. A guy runs in the four threes or four fours, and maybe he has a crazy vertical and a crazy broad jump. He's explosive. He's a great linear athlete, but when it comes to changing directions suddenly and smoothly and getting up to top speed in a hurry, contorting his body if he's a receiver or a cornerback or even a linebacker to defend a pass, that is athleticism to me. And that is why I think a lot of times we see running backs that run in the high four fives at the combine or at their pro day this year don't have a crazy vertical or broad jump. And maybe they don't even do the three cone. Maybe they test well, maybe they don't. But they aren't amazing in those linear tests but are still really good players. And no position needs elusiveness and agility and athleticism more than the running back spot. Your job is to take the football and elude a defender, get more than what is blocked for you. Those that is the biggest separator between a bad running back, a good running back and an all time running back. So when you're watching draft coverage, whether it be over the next three weeks or on draft weekend, starting April 29th, If you hear about a fast pro day or even a 40-inch vertical or an 11-foot broad jump or whatever it may be, those are all really good times for for an 11-foot broad jump for a wide receiver. A corner is very good. Even an edge rusher like Joseph Asai, it's awesome. Remember that that does not necessarily mean your team or your rival team picked a really athletic player. I've always said, and it's kind of uh, widely considered to be the best test in the scouting community, the three-cone drill where the players run it in in like a little L around three cones back and forth. That is the best test of athleticism. A lot of players opt out. I do think there is a lot of practice that goes into that, and a prospect can train really well leading up to the draft. And that ultimately will boost his time in the three cone. But we have seen over the past couple of years after what it did for DK Metcalf's draft stock. uh, And I think to a certain degree, Jerry Judy's draft stock last year, the fact that he was not the first receiver picked, but Henry Ruggs was the guy ultimately who was the first wide out off the board receivers, corners, a lot of players in general are not running the three cone. So you got to watch on film that there can be an athletic player who's sudden, and who technically is quicker than fast, that's the better athlete than someone that just can hear the snap and just explode forward. I mean, there's certainly value in speed across every position in the NFL, 
But I think it's just a huge misconception that's still out there today is that athleticism is equated to speed or speed it indicates athleticism. And then that's just truly not the case to kind of um, relate it to this draft class. There are wide receivers like Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma state didn't really test well. And he's very good on the vertical route tree. I think he's a pretty good athlete can move pretty well. I think, Someone like Daz Newsom from North Carolina, not crazy fast. One of my favorite wide receivers in this draft class. I think he belongs on day two all day. Great athlete, high-end athlete. Is he a 4-3 guy? Not necessarily. Is someone like J.C. Horn, I mean, we'll never know what he would have tested at the three cone in the short shuttle. Is he an amazing athlete? To me, I'm not sure. I didn't see it on film. Is he fast in a straight line? Can he jump through the roof? Absolutely. We saw that at his pro day, and he showed that on film on multiple occasions. But that just means that they are explosive. And it's that's a term that I've written a thousand times. I write it a thousand times every draft season. But it's when I write it or I say it, it is with a purpose. Because explosive means they're quick out of the gate. And then if they can sustain that speed down the field, they have great long speed. Those type of prospects. At the cornerback spot, I think someone like Aaron Robinson from UCF, who actually did test pretty well too at his pro day, um, would be an overall better athlete in terms of changing directions, jumping, contorting his body, running pretty fast than J.C. Horn. And J.C. Horn might be the first corner off the board at this point. But athleticism to me is the guy that could probably transition to basketball and be a 20-point scorer because of his ability to shake defenders and get to the rim and still have that elevation, still have that explosiveness. But changing directions to me I think is huge. And it's it's certainly the case with edge rushers. There's a lot of guys that out of the gate – can win with an outside speed rush because they're very explosive. But when it comes to bend and when they have to change directions or they try to use an inside counter move, they just are slow and their movements are labored and stiff. That's the difference between being linearly explosive or a great linear athlete and just being all around athletic. I think Carlos Basham is a tremendous athlete, especially for someone that's going to play close to 280. Not crazy fast, but he moves different for someone his size. I think Jason Owe is a prime example of someone who is explosive, crazy explosive, at like 6'4", 260, very sculpted. Is he amazing changing directions? Is his bend outstanding? And bend is kind of getting into more flexibility than anything else, like Devonte Smith might not be an insane athlete, but he is like elastic at wide receiver. Jason Owe at the edge rusher spot from Penn State, I think, is going to threaten and will win reps in the NFL. He'll win on plays where he's just exploding off the line of scrimmage, winning with an outside rush, and getting to the quarterback. Over time, though, you need to win with more than just that, and that goes for any position. One other player, I think, Joe Tryon from Washington super explosive, great in a straight line, decently bendy, 
changing directions, I think you see a bigger, stockier edge rusher that is going to be a little tighter in his hips. So I don't think he's a crazy athlete for the edge rusher spot. The smooth, like some are smooth athletes like Devontae Smith. Some are sudden and jagged athletes like Jalen Waddell. Now, moving from misconceptions, because that was really the, the biggest one that popped into my head this morning I wanted to talk about. I can kind of, I guess, go back to those two because these are kind of related. The changes that I've made in my grading system with my categories, to not get super specific because it would be kind of hard to follow if you're just listening. Going through all the positions, quarterback, I have moved athleticism and improvisation up. I think that's way more important than it was even three to five years ago. I think Patrick Mahomes, I've, I've said it on a podcast last year, an appearance that I was on. 2017 marks the Patrick Mahomes line pre Patrick Mahomes. So like the night before the 2017 draft, we all were looking for a stoic pocket passer that resembled Tom Brady or Drew Brees or Peyton Manning. Subtly move inside the pocket. Didn't have to be a great athlete. Didn't really care about his arm because his offensive coordinator was not going to like him moving around a ton and throwing across his body. And it was not about athleticism at the quarterback spot. Today it is. Mahomes changed everything. So did Deshaun Watson. So has Josh Allen. So has Russell Wilson. Dak Prescott to a certain degree. Certainly Lamar Jackson. To a lesser degree, Kyler Murray. I think he's still got a lot to prove in Arizona. But athleticism and improvisation are very important. To me, right after accuracy, the most important uh, component to being a good quarterback in today's NFL. And one quick aside on this note, look at all the quarterbacks. It's been my favorite theory of this draft season. Look at all the quarterbacks who were picked that were the result of a trade up in the last like five draft classes from 2016 on the really good ones are the ones who were freak athletes that maybe weren't perfect prospects. Mahomes was not. Josh Allen wasn't. Lamar Jackson wasn't. The ones that are freaky athletes, those are the guys who have really succeeded. The guys who have not, Sam Darnold, Mitchell Trubisky, Josh Rosen, all quarterbacks who were picked after a team traded up for them, they were good prospects, great prospects, that they were so good that a, a bunch of super smart football guys that have been around the game basically their whole lives decided to send draft capital to another team to pick them. They weren't great athletes for the quarterback spot at the NFL by the new standard. So I think that's changed. And I think field reading and all of that super intricate stuff is not as important as it was even five or six years ago. Because when you were dealing with these quarterbacks who were not great athletes at all, they were technically just unathletic guys out there that were crazy processors, super like hyper accurate. It did matter how quickly they could read if it was cover three or cover two. And if there was a robber coming down from the free safety spot to patrol the middle of the field. Today's NFL, like I don't think Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen have to worry about that as much because they have the arm talent and the escapability to create if they're not really sure what they're seeing. I mean, I think Mahomes and Allen have taken steps 
in that area. But I think for being a prospect, you don't need to be, you can still have a high mark in that category, but I don't think it's as vital as it used to be. And I think arm strength um, is still growing in its importance. We're just seeing so many big arm quarterbacks enter the league. At the running back spot, and this one is a little bit outside the box. Pro Football Focus, the last couple of years, since they've really jumped into the NFL draft realm, and they do a great job. Mike Renner, Steve Palazzolo, not doing as much draft stuff, but you can tell, listen to that podcast with Sam Monson, like he's a draft guy at heart. Austin, Gale, they do a great job, and they've, they were the pioneers of like, uh, talking about running backs and how valuable they or how much they could boost their value by being really good receivers. I agree with that, but I actually don't have receiving ability as like one of the top three most important traits for being a successful running back in today's NFL. And here's the reason why there just aren't many running backs that are going to be even close to a focal point of a receiving game in the NFL. So sure, you want to if it's if you're not drafting Elvin Kamara, but you still want more efficiency, more production from your running back. Yeah, you want him to have good hands, good vision, which most running backs do already and are good in space. Like that's when they excel when they get space as old school running backs when they're getting a handoff. But is it going to change your offense that much if he's being really efficient on like 35 catches? 40 catches when quarterbacks today are throwing five and 600 times a year. I don't think so. So I think receiving ability matters, but to get hunkered down in receiving ability and like watch what a running back does on a screen. I think they're all pretty even in general. I mean, you certainly watch and and see who's a little bit better, but a running back with blockers in front of him in space, like that's his game. That's where they're going to excel. And there are a few running backs. Najee Harris, I think Travis Etienne can run some routes in, in this class. Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis. Demetric Felton from UCLA. But our, especially the latter two, I don't think either of those two are going to be true hybrids catching 80 passes a year like Alvin Kamara. So I think it's important. You don't want someone that has stone hands. I remember Andre Williams, a really productive running back from Boston College, like could not catch the ball. And that hampered his success in the NFL. It's still to me elusiveness, then contact balance, then vision. You just have to be good in those areas. And yes, you want to be a good receiver and that will help. And I think Najee Harris and Travis Etienne are fantastic in those areas. But because 99% of offenses are not going to even have their running back as the third or fourth option in your passing game. And we know that the passing game is the most important element to being a good team, being efficient passing and stopping the pass efficiently. Those two areas lead to more wins than anything else. If we're talking about your fifth option, your fourth or fifth option, like, okay, if he's not as good as, some of the elite pass catching backs, but is super elusive. He's got great contact balance, awesome vision, or maybe he's really fast. and can hit you home runs. That's fine. So that's like a little bit out, like against the grain of where it's moving. Like you want running backs that are amazing receivers. I think they're all pretty decent 
if you block well for them, if the screens are well designed, then that will kind of work itself out. The next position, wide receiver, I've kind of beat this into the ground, uh, but separation matters more than anything else now. I've always said that in early 2010s, it was a Calvin Johnson, Jordy Nelson, Brandon Marshall, Des Bryant uh, type of league. It was a contested catch league. The quarterbacks were like, hey, you're not open. I don't care. I'll throw it up to you. And I think there just happened to be five or six elite wide receivers that were big. They were 6'2 and up, great leaping ability, strong hands, great rapport with their quarterbacks that that is what the prototype was that. And, and I used to look for those players that the guys that were just rebounding the football down the field. And even, even if they were slow, even if they couldn't create a lot of separation, I was fine with that. We know in today's NFL, it's all about getting off the line of scrimmage against press, the clean release, and then just running super sharp routes. And that goes back to my initial point about athleticism. Like wide receivers that can consistently get open are crazy athletes. And you like to see four, three, five, you like to see four, four, oh, if it's a bigger wide receiver, they're not crazy fast. That's okay. If they can get open, they're usually going to be pretty good after the catch too. I think your AJ Browns and your Debo Samuels and in this draft class, Amari Rogers from Clemson and Marlon Williams from UCF outstanding after the catch, they're smaller, stockier, thick type wide receivers. That's what matters more than anything else. Ball skills and your speed and really their size. I think being 6'4", 225, and if you're stiff, unless you're DK Metcalf, I don't really think that matters too much. Offensive line, and this is me almost going against the grain for myself, and, it, and this is a big change that I've made in my grading system the past couple of years. I used to like be... Uh, afraid of blockers who like weighed 300 pounds and were clearly getting overpowered on film. I was like, this is a red flag. They're going to deal with problems when it comes to playing against the super strong, whether it be edge rushers or defensive tackles in the NFL. I remember in 2018 when the Vikings picked Brian O'Neill in the second round out of Pittsburgh, crazy athlete it's film. You could see that. Pretty good balance, but he was like, looked like a tight end. Rookie season in Minnesota gets pushed around three years into his career now. He's one of the best young right tackles in the league. I think I've kind of pushed that aside, and I'm not dinging offensive linemen who aren't crazy big or crazy strong at the point of attack as prospects because I know that is very easy to change once they get on the NFL team, in an NFL strength and conditioning program. And they just have more time. They're 21, 22 years old. They can pack on weight. They can get stronger, and most of them do. And almost every offensive tackle, offensive guard, or center needs more weight and more strength to deal with NFL strong defensive tackles. Like I was doing so many write-ups and was like, oh, not really NFL strong yet. Not really NFL strong yet. None of them are. Penny Sewell's probably the closest in this class too. Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, very strong. But everyone, if there's one negative rep from Tevin Jenkins, and he did not have a lot last season, Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma, this smaller, 
old school, like three, four outside linebacker, stand up rush linebacker. One arm bull rushed him into the quarterback. And maybe there was, he was a little late getting out of his stance, Tevin Jenkins or whatever it was. You saw that on film. That's just an indication that what could happen once he gets to the NFL. And this is one of the nastiest maulers in the class. So for as much as maybe early on in that player's career, if they are a little bit underweight or they don't have crazy power, you might see them getting pushed into the quarterback a lot. But I think that is the easiest of anything once you get to the NFL. The easiest thing to change about a player. Put more weight on and make them stronger. And it's vital in the trenches, especially for offensive linemen. For tight ends, it kind of groups in with offensive or with wide receivers. Separation matters more than anything else. We know that it's kind of become a lazy. It's become lazy analysis to say, doesn't matter how well they block it. We know that tight ends are not blocking that much anymore. If you can get someone who can create space on a five to 10 yard pass, and there's not many tight ends that can do this. A lot of them can have good long speed down the seam, but running routes in the zero to 10 yard range outside of Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. And to a certain degree, Darren Waller, there's not a lot of tight ends that can consistently get open on those chain moving type of routes. They can do that. Great. Yards after the catch, very important. I think Travis Kelsey is a better route runner than George Kittle. I think George Kittle is better after the catch. And both are fantastic in both areas. And that's why they're the two best tight ends in the league. I think Darren Waller is the best vertical threat at the tight end spot. So if you do have speed and if you can really stretch the, the seam and go back and look at Darren Waller's combine, he is a freak athletically. He's fast. He can jump. He can change directions. If you can be really fast, that's helpful too. And in this class, you know, Kyle Pitt stands by himself significantly ahead of anyone else. I didn't really see a lot of tight ends who can get open on those zero to 10 yard or maybe 15 yard passes. I like Brevin Jordan from Miami after the catch. Pat Fryermuth flashes after the catch at times. Hunter Long from Boston College. I don't think he's going to separate very often. He's not a crazy athlete, but he's got good ball skills, big catch radius, decent after the catch. One random guy I'll just throw out. I'm not going to go through all of uh, you know, each position by throwing out names because it'll be inundated with like you'll be inundated with prospects in this episode. Quentin Morris from Bowling Green. I think he has enough speed to seriously threaten the seam on a consistent basis. He was a wide receiver starting at Bowling Green. Quentin Morris, remember that name. I think he'll go on day three, and I think he'll be a good pro. At the linebacker spot, and this one, I've loved scouting linebackers because it's so fun watching their film. They're doing so much. Like the really good ones. Like you're watching a prospect. You're like, okay, he's been identified as someone who probably has a future in the NFL. They're active. They're putting their nose in there against the run. They're ranging on an outside run or on a screen pass toward the sideline. They're sinking in coverage. They're getting split out to cover a slot receiver or a tight end or a running back in coverage. They have to do so much. And when I first started scouting draft prospects, 2013, 2014 really was my first draft class that I dove deep, deep into. It was all about beating blocks because the run game was still 
very important element to almost every team. We've seen since that time in the last 10 years-ish, the passing rates have just gone through the roof in the NFL. And you could really see the linebackers who were good were the ones, at least I thought, who could shed a block. They would be playing in the middle. They would be trying to get to an outside zone play. Here comes the guard. They could stack him and shed him. I just don't think it's that important anymore. And we know that coverage matters so much at the linebacker spot because teams are passing 65, 70% of the time now. Well, I, I think that's a little high. It's like 60 to 65. Especially the good teams are passing that much in general. Coverage skills matter more than anything else, but I think traits-wise, like if they're just a good athlete, but in college they were used mostly as a quarterback spy or they were sent on a lot of blitzes, just the scheme did not ask them to cover a lot, I'm okay with that. I would like to see some ball production in coverage, whether it be interceptions or pass breakups. It just I think it's a pretty difficult thing for a linebacker to do. So to see pass breakups or interceptions I think is a very uh, emphatic checkbox. But if you can tell that they have sudden movement skills, if they are quick to the football, if they're fast, if sinking when they do have to drop in coverage, even if they're not making a play, they do that very comfortably, then I'm okay with that. I remember watching Matt Milano in the 2017 draft class, and he was this six foot, 225 pound Sam linebacker, like blitzing off the edge and made a lot of plays in the backfield but they didn't really ask him to do a ton in coverage. Now he's one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. So athleticism to me is actually the most heavily weighted category in my grading system for linebackers. Then next coverage skills, then block shedding, then tackling. It seems ridiculous that you should, that I should be prioritizing tackling more, but I think we're to the point where it's so spaced out. In the NFL, linebackers are going to miss tackles. If they can get there, they can slow down a running back. If they can make the splash plays, whether it be in coverage or shooting a gap to make a tackle for loss, that almost negates a few missed tackles here and there. It's very, very rare to see a linebacker that just never misses a tackle. It doesn't happen. And I I actually changed this year. I added a category. Took out size. I don't think size matters. Just that will a player's imposing size or lack of size will play itself out in his film pass rush skills because I think a lot of teams are getting these linebacker prospects like a Kenneth Murray or a Jordan Brooks or a Patrick Queen all of which who went in the first round last year and none of them had good seasons as rookies they were those linebackers that were athletic but just did not have really any coverage experience. And they were extreme examples, especially Jordan Brooks and Kenneth Murray. They were blitzers. They were quarterback spies in college. So once you get to year two or year three with a linebacker, especially if you pick him early, he's starting for you. He's on the field, seven, 800, 900 snaps a season. If you're like, man, he just doesn't have the experience and the comfort in coverage. Use him as a pass rusher. Blitz him a ton, set him up on the edge, see if he can win with his speed and flexibility around the corner against a 6'5", 330-pound left or right tackle. And there are 
linebackers that are just better blitzers than others. They have pass rushing moves when they see a running back. They play with more reckless abandon. There's just they're more powerful at the point of attack. Um, so pass rushing skills I think matter at the off ball linebacker spot today because there just are so many linebackers that struggle in coverage. On the defensive line, I moved up explosiveness. I think explosiveness really matters, and that's directly tied to how quickly the ball is coming out in today's NFL. It's good to have quality handwork. I think that still is the most important because so many prospects you see are very powerful in college. They're explosive. They're great athletes, and they win on just physicality alone. The really good edge rushers or defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen in the NFL. Think about them. They all have a crazy arsenal of pass rushing moves. Chandler Jones, J.J. Watt, Von Miller, uh, T.J. Watt. They're all, and that's kind of using some recent examples and some more established guys, Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is a future first ballot Hall of Famer because he is a absolute freak of nature athletically. He's crazy strong. And he has like 10 pass rushing moves that he uses on a regular basis. So handwork still matters more than anything else if you're a defensive lineman. But I think explosiveness, you got to be explosive. If you're a crazy technician and you do have five pass rushing moves that you can lean on once you get to the NFL, but you have a slow get off and you can't really sustain speed through the line of scrimmage and into the backfield, the ball is going to be out. You can win your rep, but the ball is not going to be in the quarterback's hands once you get there. And then a lot of that is true at the edge rusher spot. I actually have explosiveness ahead of handwork. And the reasoning behind that in my grading system is that I think being an edge rusher, you're further away from the football before the snap. So it matters a lot of what I just said actually means more to the edge rushers because if they're not explosive, they can have JJ watch pass rushing move arsenal. It's not going to matter. And I do think they still need to be powerful. They need to be bendy to be as well-rounded as they can. Of course. Cornerback spot. What's been really interesting is that I've moved down the ability to mirror down the field because the NFL similar. It's almost the same rate as how often teams pass like 60, 65%. That's how frequently teams are playing zone today. So if you're a crazy man cover guy and you can stick with the wide receiver throughout the route, that's great. And a team will pick you early and you'll probably have a good NFL career, but I don't think you need, that capability to succeed in the NFL because there's so much zone. And for the longest time, a label of being a zone corner was a, had a negative connotation. And I don't think it does. It shouldn't. It doesn't with me. If the Dallas Cowboys draft Penny Sewell because he falls to them at 10, bunch of offensive skill position players and quarterbacks go early. There is no shame in him playing guard. I said that with Matt. Uh, on Matt Collar's podcast yesterday, two days ago. Play guard. you got to have good guards in today's NFL. Every team has a really good pass-rushing defensive tackle. Almost every team. 
you can probably count on one hand the teams that are like, hey, we just don't have any pass rush from the interior. You need a good guard. It helps your run game. The pressure that most quarterbacks hate more than anything else is inside pressure. So that's just a quick aside about that whole idea. And the same thing goes for a zone cornerback. I think it's hard to be a good zone cornerback because not only are you reading what you're seeing, you're watching the quarterback, your peripheral vision is watching the route concepts or vice versa. And then when you see an opportunity, you need to have the athleticism and the plant and drive skills to explode downhill on the football and then make a play on it. So I think Twitch is the most important thing at the cornerback spot today. That's my most heavily weighted category in my grading system. Then ball skills, then mirroring, then speed. I think we always would see that the combine that like the corners have to be, you know, you could weed out a cornerback from going in the first round if he ran like high four fours in the last couple of years. You need to be low four fours or high four threes. I don't think that, I don't really understand that. I think you like to have your corner be as fast as he can, just like it's the same case with a running back or or a wide receiver. But the NFL is played between zero and 19 yards. 80 to 85% of the throws are in that range. You need to be twitchy. The reason why Jair Alexander is a tremendous, in this case, man cornerback, he's super twitchy. That helps him be outstanding mirroring wide receivers down the field. So if you read any of my write-ups, any of my grades during the draft, whatever it may be, if I'm calling someone a zone cornerback, that is not coming with a negative connotation. And in this draft class, someone like Elijah Molden from Washington, not a crazy athlete, but I think he's pretty sudden, very instinctive, great zone corner. I like Eric Stokes that he can play man or zone equally as well. Greg Newsom played a lot of off coverage at Northwestern. Did play on, on an island at times in man, but showed that he can be very productive as his own cornerback in the NFL. And that's fine. I think he's still going to go in the first round, and he should. It's kind of like the new idea that if you're calling someone a slot corner, he's like, uh, he's not as good. Put him into the slot. You need to have awesome slot corners in today's NFL too. But that's kind of been out there for a few years. My biggest thing is just not thinking that a cornerback is bad if he plays in zone. And then safety, finishing this episode. Came across this one just watching the 2020 NFL season. So this is really like this past year only that I've decided this for my grading system and just how I view the safety spot. We're in this era where teams are, and I think Derwin James in that 2018 draft class is the guy that is the prototype. Teams want, and it's trendy to talk about, the six foot three, 225 pound hybrid linebacker because almost every team is playing nickel as their base defense. Teams are in nickel 60 to 80% of the time. And you need this safety that looks like a linebacker but kind of runs like a safety. You can't really tell what he is on the field. I don't think that's true. I don't think you need that. Watching the Chiefs in the playoffs, watching the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, a lot of the good teams in the NFL, especially on defense, they just had three good safeties that could do a lot of different things. The Buccaneers did not have an uh, imposing big nickel. Neither 
do the Kansas City Chiefs. But they have Tyron Matthew that can play anywhere. Juan Thornhill, amazing free safety in terms of his range. Daniel Sorensen can do a lot. Antoine Winfield, Mike Edwards for the Buccaneers. Just give me a safety. I don't care how big he is. Within reason, of course. He does not need to be six foot three, two twenty-five to be a big nickel. There are a lot of good run defending safeties who are a little bit smaller. And I'm not really gonna place a big precedent on how good a safety is against the run. I want him to be able to be a quasi slot corner. Slot defender. You can call him that if you don't want to call him a corner. Richie Grant, Trayvon Morig. Andre Cisco, my top three corners. And actually, Mooring's number one. Richie Grant, I have number two. And Andre Cisco, number three. And then even number four, our Darius Washington, Trayvon Morig's teammate at TCU. They can play in the slot, and they're twitchy. They can look like a slot corner on one play. Then you can fast forward, see them range from the deep middle, break up a pass near the sideline. Then the play after that, they are next to the other two linebackers on the field. They look like a linebacker. They can rob the middle of the field, rotate down after the snap, anything over the middle and make a play on it. That's kind of the freestyle Troy Palomalu uh, role that I think is very important for a modern day safety. But I, I was leaning toward getting enamored with like, oh, who are the the six two and up and two twenty and up safeties? No, just get me a corner that has coverage range, great ball skills, very twitchy. If he's a good run defender, great. If he's not, I don't really care as much. That is the fourth highest weighted category in my grading system at the safety spot. If he's got good size, I think size does still matter at that position because, and if you're too big, I think that hurts you. But you are going to deal with some bigger wide receivers and tight ends and running backs. So having size and length, I think, doesn't hurt unless you're too big, but just get me a safety that is a great athlete. And now you know what I think about that. Being able to change directions quickly, contort your body, jump, run fast, all of that put together that can play a lot of different roles and preferably did play in a lot of different roles at the collegiate level. That's why I love Richie Grant. I think he is a first round prospect all day. That's why even despite the torn ACL early in the season, Andre Cisco from Syracuse is absolutely a first-round prospect. He played in the box, not as a, a safety running an alley. He is playing weak side linebacker on one play and then has crazy range from the deep middle or as a robber on the next couple of plays. We know he had crazy production at Syracuse before the injury and dating back to his freshman season there with the orange. So we will hear a lot about big nickel and that you need someone like divine Diablo or Hamza Nasser Dean from Florida state. They're good prospects. I like them, but someone like Javon Holland, who I don't think is a crazy athlete, but has been in the slot has been in the free safety position. Jacoby Stevens from LSU played a lot in the box, but has big time explosiveness to run with tight ends down the seam. And then my top four guys, they're all really good. Trayvon Morig, Richie Grant, 
Andre Cisco and Ardarius Washington. They're not the biggest guys, but they can play a lot of different roles and wear a lot of different hats. And that is more important than anything else at the safety spot. All right. That's all I got for today. Thank you so much for listening to the prospect podcast. Remember subscribe rate review podcast every Tuesday and Thursday leading up to the 2021 NFL draft. Again, I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you for listening to the prospect podcast.